to Proverbs. We'll be in chapter 5 this morning. Uh, Chapter 5 of Proverbs, our context in Proverbs, a father giving instruction to his son. That father being Solomon, collecting not just his own words, but the words of wise people around him, collecting these words and, and putting it into a volume that he would give to his son. And it's really amazing the way it ends with, uh, he, he's talking, this, this week he'll talk about a wife of your youth and temptations for a young man, but he ends it by really describing, Solomon, this is, this is a picture of the wife that you are to look for, you are to guard, you're, you're, you're to long for. Um, so far, these first four Proverbs, there has been this pleading of the father to the son. At all costs, he says, son, gain wisdom and understanding. Those two things, again, going together. Not just to know things, but to understand how those things will change your life. Last week, uh, at the heart of his message, verse 23 of chapter 4, um, my son, above all things, he says, above everything else, uh, guard your heart, what has at the core of your being, what you love and long for, what defines you, what is most precious to you, guard that heart. And he says, from out of it springs all of life. The wellspring of life comes. And so we see this idea of a spring, of water, of living water. It's all throughout the scriptures, but especially we see it here in Proverbs. And so um, this imagery that he will use in chapter 5 of springs and water and living water and cisterns. Um, the, the heart is to be, in a sense, that fountain. So as we read this, you think about the woman at the well who comes there to, to draw water. It's her life. And then Jesus uses that illustration to point out uh, that she has been getting her life of her soul uh, from a cistern that will dry up, that will always leave her hungering for another man. And so um, that's the imagery that we have here. And I told you last week, God made lions for a reason, that we might know him better. God also made marriage. He made male and female, that we might know him better, that we might understand his love, his care, and his commitment to us. Uh, It's interesting. I I find um, it quite comical how I title my sermons, as if that's going to make some big difference, you know. Uh, But I don't know. I just enjoy it. I had three different titles. this week. Um, the, the Forbidden Woman was title number one. Second title was more like uh, something for a youth talk, Cougars versus Does. Uh, <laughs> pretty bad, yeah, yeah, but uh, you know, that's, it is what it is. It's not getting on the website. Uh, a biblical, logical, critical review of alternative lifestyles. A biblical, logical, critical review of alternative lifestyles. Uh, Proverbs 5, 1 to 23. It's fairly long reading, but if if you want, you may stand for the reading of God's word. My son, be attentive to my wisdom. Incline your ear to my understanding that you may keep discretion... And your lips may guard knowledge. Okay, that's similar to just about every other proverb we've read so far. Uh, he introduces it. I, I, what I'm saying is so important, son. I, I want you to just not just hear it, but grasp it. 
verse 3, the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps follow the path to Sheol. She does not ponder the path of life. Her ways wander, and she does not know it. And now, O sons, listen to me, and do not depart from the words of my mouth. Keep your way far from her. Do not go near the door of her house, lest you give your honor to others and your heart to the merciless. Lest strangers take their fill of your strength, and your labors go to the house of a foreigner. And at the end of your life, you groan when your flesh and body are consumed. And you say, how I hated discipline and my heart despised reproof. I didn't listen to the voice of my teachers or incline my ear to my instructors. I am at the brink of utter ruin in the assembled congregation. Drink water from your own cistern. Flowing water from your own well. Should your springs be scattered abroad, streams of water in the streets, let them be for yourself alone and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth, a lovely deer, a graceful doe. Let her breasts fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. Why should you be intoxicated, my son, with a forbidden woman and embrace the bosom of an adulteress? For a man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord, and he ponders all his paths. The iniquities of the wicked ensnare him, and he is held fast in the cords of his sin. He dies for lack of discipline, and because of his great folly, he is led astray. The grass withers, the flower fades, the word of our God will stand forever. You may be seated. I would say, even if you don't believe in God even if you don't really even have a sense of justice or spiritual things, if you've lived in any type of community, if you have a large family, and if you're over 50, I think you'd agree with all of these words, probably at least through verse 20. It is pure and simple and clear wisdom. It is a father sitting to his son and saying, Son, you are young and handsome, and your whole life is laid out before you. Son, guard your heart, and here's how it's going to be attacked, maybe first, foremost, and over all other attacks. You will be drawn to sexual activity that's forbidden. Here, specifically, he is talking about a married woman to his son, who it appears is betrothed, or he is about to be married when he, when he refers to the wife of your youth. Son, guard your heart, but especially against forbidden relationships, especially against forbidden sexual relations. Your eyes, your ears, your path, your words, guard them from going down this path. The allure of the unchaste life. We know it exists. We don't deny that it exists. If you're a Seinfeld fan, you might remember the, the, the episode where George Costanza uh, has this thing with uh, Tomei. Is it Rebecca Tomei? What's her name? Anyway, what's her name? Marissa Tomei. Yeah, he's got this Marissa Tomei thing going on. And then, and then 
Jerry says, yeah, too bad you have a George Costanza thing going on. And, and, and so he buys this hat from the sales lady uh, because of her words. And I remember watching that episode the first time, and in comes George with this ridiculous hat. You know, and, and he, she tells him it's made of sable. It turns out it was made out of nutria rat. Um, and and uh, he buys this ridiculous hat. And I absolutely remember when I was young, I managed an office equipment store. One of my salesmen came in wearing this ridiculous sweater. I mean, it was just this awful thing. And I'm like, why on earth did you buy that sweater? Where did he come from? I mean, I was like, this is ridiculous. He goes, really? He goes, well, I was in buying some shoes, and the sales lady came up to me, and she put this sweater on me, and she said, oh, I'd love to go out with a guy that wore a sweater like this. He bought two. <laughs> we know the allure, right? We, we, we just, we, we see it. I know that there, there are certain stores uh, that, that if a man walks in, a woman's supposed to greet him. Um, this is what the father is saying, but even in a much deeper way. Son, there will be so many alternatives given to you. Probably the greatest one you will face as the ruler of my people will be the older woman, the married woman that is not happy with her marriage. That will be the one. You must be aware of that. Now, this may not apply to you specifically, but the wisdom of this proverb is for every human being. It's not just the son and the unchaste wife. It's also for the unchaste wife. It's for the frustrated wife. It's for the frustrated husband. It's for the young who want to set out and not fall into the paths that are laid out here. In one verse, he really explains how this trap is set. And then he'll, he'll, he'll in the rest of this text, he, he, he really lays out um, kind of three reasons to be aware to be to beware of this um, he, he's going to warn his son physically socially economically kind of the external warnings he's going to encourage positively we see that our God always does it he's not just out there saying don't do this don't do this don't do this he's saying don't do this because this is better don't do this it will take your life do this it will give you life always to the scriptures we have that and then at the end of course he will warn spiritually and so uh, we'll start by looking here at the lure of the unchaste life. The sermon and sentence this morning is that the wisdom of biblical marriage far outweighs the fleeting pleasures of the unchaste life. There is God's wisdom laid out in biblical marriage, biblical covenantal marriage. And it truly far outweighs all of these fleeting pleasures of the unchaste life. So the lure here, verse 3. So again, verses 1 and 2, it's kind of that standard introduction. My son, please listen, please listen. I'm about ready to drop some knowledge upon you. Uh, this is so important that you know this. Um, the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. A forbidden woman, another man's wife, it's the obvious definition but again, it must include all forbidden partners. Uh, it says two things, lips, words of flattery, seductive speech, love songs, 
or probably better, lust songs, whispers, secret longings, sweet words. The text would say her purposes aren't always in her own mind to be destructive. It says she doesn't know. Those lips come because there's a fallenness in her. There is this desire. There is a longing for her fountain to be filled. There is this desire. Sometimes it's because I'm unloved at home. And maybe, possibly, maybe, I would feel better if someone younger, if I could attract them, if they would find me beautiful or worthy. There's a fallenness in her, a longing that should be met in her own husband that has been failed, and she hopes somehow it will be met in you and with you. But she will destroy you, son, to fill herself. We find that always with idolatry. Idolatry is taking. Sin against God is taking. It is not receiving. Her lips that drip honey. Sweet, sweet words. Secondly, a speech, it says, that is smoother than oil. Oil, of course, in the Old Testament, it symbolizes gladness, blessing, abundance, prosperity. That's what her speech is saying. Can you imagine what life will be like for us together? The oil, with its absence, it always indicates sorrow, humiliation, and poverty. You remember in 2 Kings 4, the widow, her oil has run out. And God sends his prophet Elisha to fill her oil. And it meant life for her and for her son. I told you about my friend Bill when I was planting in California. I would meet with this older pastor once a week. And he would ask me the same question every time. Mark, is there any woman in the church whose words of affirmation mean more to you than Tammy's? Is there anybody who, if they say, wow, that was a great sermon, wow, you're really a great pastor, that it would mean more to you? Just, just those words, Mark. The allure. So that's just verse 3. That's the warning. The rest is really his response to that. Son, know it, expect it when you hear it. Beware. Verse 4. But, verse 4 to 14, son, here, here's what it will be like, really. She's painted this picture. She may even believe it herself. Here's what it's going to be like. Here's what will happen. But, son, here's really what's going to happen. Verses 4 to 14, it's, he takes it all and just swaps it. Verse 4, she is as bitter as wormwood. So from the sweet honey of her lips comes out with this sharp two-edged sword. Sweet words then become painful. The tongue that fed an ego and lust, now it cuts to the heart, son. Words so, so painful. Belittling words. Disappointing words. Frustrating words. Regret. The tongue that brought you in is the tongue that cuts you up. Her feet, the path, verses 5 and 6. The path doesn't lead to happiness. It doesn't lead to lasting pleasure, son. The path that she is taking you on leads you to death. And when they say Sheol, especially when they use Sheol, they often say Sheol is the place the dead go who have unfulfilled 
what they were meant to do on planet Earth. And so it's very powerful for a young man. You had so much potential, and yet she is leading you to a path of an early grave. She cuts your life short. The way is not straight. It wanders. What brought her to you, son, is going to bring her to another, and you will be discarded and left aside. He gets so riled up, I think, that again in verse 7, it's the same as verse 1 and 2. Verse 7, he's like, listen. (laughs) Now, son, listen, please. Do not depart from the words of my mouth and then he just kind of continues in his explanation of this is what the unchaste life will look like so verse 8 don't go near her son don't even venture to her front door stay out of the neighborhood where she lives don't go to the store where she works don't buy coffee from where she's a barista stay away dads moms Your sons and daughters, they have so many doors open to them now. So, so many everywhere open to them, enticing, false, and leading to death, destruction, and a wayward life. Bruce Waltke writes, a man's biological drives, social responsibilities are in conflict. His innate drives must be channeled within the right form. Just as a train's engine functions best on tracks. Oh, son, her path is not going to take you where you want to go. Don't go even near to her house. Don't think that you can go close, but you won't get drawn in. Verse 9, you will end up giving your honor to others and your years to the merciless. Now, of course, in his day, uh, a, a husband who caught his wife with another man, that man could be stoned, the man could be sold into slavery. Uh, you know, even today, we, we know that, right? We know that, that this, this, this broken relationships and, and, and marriage, alimony, <laughs> child support. Um, we think about Joseph. Joseph, what, what, what happened with his charge, right? Sent to prison, lost everything, even though he was innocent. Don't go near The outraged husband, the wrong family, your church family, your own family will catch up to you. Estrangement, it will cost you. You know, I'm a fan of the Hamilton uh, musical. And and when the Reynolds pamphlet, I think that's song number 10 in Act 2. I mean, I've seen it a few times, but uh, when... um, uh, his friends say, you ever seen a man ruin his own life? And then the guy sings, well, you're never going to be president now. And um, I, 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 again, I think it's a, a wonderful musical, and I think that's one of the things it depicts really well. He was drawn in, drawn in by a woman whose husband had failed her. He gets drawn in, and the cost is way more than he would ever have expected. It's also beautiful because there's redemption, forgiveness, and restoration. It's, it's, it's beautiful. Um, but uh, that's what he's saying. You know, at one point, Hamilton was paying one-third of his annual salary <clears throat> to Reynolds' husband to cover up his sin, to save face, to keep his position. 
verse 11. Your life will then end in groaning, pain, poverty, and loss. Oh, son, please, please listen. But there's a bright spot. Actually, there's a couple in this. It, it's a warning, and I encourage parents to be honest with your kids. Uh, this is, I mean, it, it, it's, it's quite blunt, and it's in your face, isn't it? And that's how we need to be with our kids, because the world will be. They will be tempted in all various forms. But then it comes to verse 12. If you have your Bible, look at verse 12. 12 to 14 is a picture of repentance. And so we talk about repentance a lot at Three Rivers, because repentance and faith is how we get into the community of God's people. It's how we are saved. It's what conversion is. Um, it's not saying uh, magical words that you feel are just right in the emotional time because you've been, whatever, led up to it. It's repentance and faith. And that's what's happening here, I believe, in 12 to 14. In a way, the Father is saying, when you come to that point, if you come to that point. Now again, this is Solomon. Think about his father, David. Right? David had followed the Lord for a long, long time. And you know what? He went too close to the door. He saw something he shouldn't have seen. And Solomon can look back and say, Oh man, son, there was brothers killing brothers. My half-brothers killed each other. And it was a result of this. Absalom, Tamar, Amnon, you look through it. Son, that, please, please listen. How can I get this across to you? But son, if you give in and you come to this point in verse 12 and you say, this is repentance, how I hated discipline, how my heart despised reproof. All those times that mom warned me, all those times that dad warned me, and I'm like, I'm not going to do that. Do you think I'm stupid? I would never do that. Yes, I think you're stupid. And yes, I think you would do that. And yes, I think you are able. You know why? Because I'm stupid and I'm able. When you come to that point, this is what you say. You do not say, it's not my fault. I was tricked. It was her fault. How was I to know? They pushed me into this. No, you say this. This is because I hated being disciplined. When mom and dad wouldn't let me go somewhere, I would sneak out and go there. I knew better than them. When mom and dad wouldn't let me watch this, I went to my friend's house to watch this. This is because I despised correction. This is my fault. All right? You've got to get this in your head. Christians are not people who don't sin. Christians are not people who don't cheat on their spouse. Christians are people who do not repent. I'm sorry, Christians are people who do repent. <laughs> God. We're people who repent. One reason we have our elders up here to lead times of confession and repentance, we want absolutely to be accessible in the midst of your struggle. That you're drawn to leaders who walk with a limp. You're drawn to leaders who have been bowed down in their confession and in their repentance, who walk humbly with their God, 
who never look at you and say, I would never do that, I could never do that. How could you do that? We say, how I despise discipline, how I despised reproof. My sin is my own fault. I am responsible for that. And that's the bright spot here, because then what happens? He says, I didn't listen to my teachers. I didn't listen. I didn't incline my ears. I didn't turn my ears to my instructors. Instead, I went the way that seemed right. I followed what my eyes saw. I followed what tickled my ears. And then in verse 14, I am at the brink of utter ruin in the assembled congregation. If this describes you, when this describes you at times, you repent. And I'm not just talking, this is not just for the young man with the older married woman. This is for any relationship. Now, I said the scriptures rarely just forbid without offering something better. The father warns. He says, son, you're going to get to this point, And may your words be this when you get to this point. Because there is still hope for you when you repent. But then he says, but here is what it should look like. I think about this, um, you take a goldfish in a bowl, right, and that goldfish is, is it's, it's stuck in that bowl, and in that bowl there is life from above that is fed to it, but it, 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 it has walls, doesn't it? It has, it has a, a, a structure around it that keeps it. And you just take this goldfish over and you just kind of hold it over Grand Lake over the Cherokees, and you hold it over that lake, and, and the goldfish is looking through and saying, Wow, look what is out there. More than one rock. All different kinds of food. I want freedom. I'm an American goldfish. Let me go. Right? Oh, look at this. And, and so you're like, okay, okay, little Mr. Guppy, go ahead. And a goldfish swims in the Grand Lake of the Cherokees into the mouth of a long-nosed gar. <laughs> or a black bass. That's how our enemy will take our children. That's how our enemy will grasp our hearts. This law of God, it's so restrictive. I mean, you hear it. How can you know this man is right for you? How many men have you been with? Oh, well, that's ridiculous. Why would you commit to someone before you've lived with them for years? That sounds stupid. That's the world saying, get out of the goldfish bowl of God's protection and wisdom and dump your life into the cesspool of Grand Lake. (laughs) And here's what he says. This is what you have, son, before you. This is what we have before us. Verses 15 to 20, this is the wisdom of God's marriage. This is, son, you're guarding your heart and you're entrusting not not your whole soul, but you're entrusting this physical part, this relational part of your heart to the wife of your youth. Verse 15, drink from your own cistern. Son, your own wife is the one who is the answer to your sexual desires. Son, your own wife is the only answer to your sexual desires. It's pretty provocative, isn't it, how he describes it. But do you realize this? Every subatomic particle of your body was created by God in his design. Yes, every pleasure center, all of that was created by our God. 
in his design and to be fulfilled in the covenant of marriage. Son, uh, verse 16, it's the same point on the negative. Should your life be scattered and poured out into the streets? 17 to 20, find what you want in her, the wife of your youth. And then provocative words. Her, her breasts are the ones to satisfy you. You're to intoxicate yourself with her love. The, the inhibitions and the fantasies that are pure are to be met in her son. I am not saying you will not have this. I am saying you will not have this if you go around my plan. If you go around my covenant. The wisdom of biblical marriage, it far outweighs the fleeting pleasures of an unchaste life. What does that mean for us? We, we have to understand the lure. We have to understand when we get too close to that door, it may be different for some of us. But the dangers and the consequences, we must believe them. Now, like I said, if you're over 50, you've seen this. The other day I was having just kind of a sad blue day. And Tammy handed me this photo album. She's like, here, this will cheer you up. And it didn't. <laughs> uh, you know, maybe it's just being a pastor. You get close to people and you see things and you know things. But, you know, I open page after, you know, brokenness, brokenness, abuse, uh, scandal. And, and just like about the fourth page, I'm like, Tammy, bad idea. <laughs> Um, God will not be mocked. He makes promises and he gives us warnings. And, and the Father closes really with what I would say are these theological assurances. In verse 21, God knows all, son. He knows all. A man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord and he ponders all his paths. When you seek to isolate yourself from other people, it's a dangerous thing. And the human heart seeks to hide its, its fallenness and paint a better picture of themselves. And the hidden woman, the forbidden woman, uh, wants to take you in secret, away. No one will know. It's just between us. We're consenting adults. Son, God sees it all. And you're precious to him. You are precious to him. God will see it all and he will not let you stay this path. It will cost you. And our God is a God of justice. Verses 22 and 23. It is poured out on the wicked and they will die because of their folly. So what does this mean to us as we come to the table? Jesus is our husband. If you're a Christian, the church is his bride. You belong to him. He is the one who wants first place in your heart. When we talk about idolatry and confession of sins, what we are saying in the same manner is, how have we, like a foolish, ignorant son, given in to the lure of sweet words? 
How have we given in? How have we slowly stepped away? How have we inclined our heart instead of towards God, towards all other things that would take first place? He is our groom, and he offers us a covenant of marriage to himself. And when he does that, he knows that we are unfaithful wives. That was the story of Hosea. That was the the text from Isaiah. Our God woos back his wayward spouse. There may be nothing more loving that we see in humanity than when a husband lures back his unchaste wife, when an unchaste wife lures back, or when when a chaste wife lures back her husband. May not take the, the greatest amount of love, grace, and mercy for a human being to say the one that I promised my God I would be faithful has been unfaithful to me, but because God has been faithful to me, because he has drawn me back to himself, I will humbly draw you back to myself. That's what our Savior does. That's what it cost him. For him to bring us back to himself, for him to turn us away from all our unfaithfulness, from all our forbidden relationships, he had to die. Our God is just, he sees it all, and our God is just, and for us to be made right to him required a sacrifice, and that's the cross. He gave himself for his wayward people to win us back. It's the beautiful news of the gospel. How do we know if we're ready for this? When we do what it says in 12 to 14, when we repent of our sins and say, oh God, I was unchaste. Oh God, I didn't listen to you. I despise your wisdom. I thought I was wise on my own, and I am at utter ruin without you. Oh God, receive me back. I am bringing back to you all that is broken and unmet. Oh God, receive me back. And we do this every week because every week we renew our covenant marriage vows to our Savior. Every week he says, I will remind you of this. Do this often. That you know I gave my body for your body. That you will know that I gave my blood instead of you shedding your blood to be made right. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your warnings. We thank you that you are not prudish, that you are not afraid, that you tell us with absolute clarity and truth that it is unwise, it is foolish, it is stupid to go against your direction. And yet, Father, in the midst of that, you call us back to yourself. When we face that utter ruin, when there is great loss, it is you saying, turn, stop, repent, come back to me. I wait with open arms for you. And Father, now we pray that as we eat the bread and that we drink the cup, that we will, in like manner, Lord, renew our commitment to you. You are the one we are to love. You are the one we are to entrust our lives to. You are the one who gives us a path to walk. You are the one that will love us greater than anybody else ever could. Help us, Father. Help our unbelief. Help us to be assured 
that now that you have bought us, you have betrothed us to yourself, that you will never leave us nor forsake us. We thank you for these things in Jesus' name. Amen.